0: In the very beginning, it was actually NHK, the Japanese broadcasting company, that suggested that I adapt uh, the Murakami short story into a film. Um, In the very beginning, I was actually thinking about giving the opportunity to a younger uh, filmmaker and then producing the project only. But the screenwriter of Burning, uh, a writer that I've been working with for a few years, um, read over 80 short stories of Murakamis and and picked this one and suggested I turn this into a, a film. In the short story, the, the, the plot actually is, is quite simple, it's just a story, a short story about trying to figure out the mystery of whether barns were indeed burned or
1: not, uh, but I thought that this mystery um, in the cinematic way could be
0: expanded into um, other and bigger mysteries, and so I, I chose to adapt this short story. Welcome to part two of our burning episode, but before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their patron feed, and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So, as usual, we're going to start on the ground floor, our one-dollar tier, the Travoltis. What do you get when you subscribe to the Concerns Patreon with one dollar? Well, for starters, you get all the stuff that doesn't make it into the episode. Uh, we have a lot of uh, clips that get cut for time, sometimes for content. Sometimes they're just major digressions, and, and we try to keep the episodes focused on the movie. So, fear not if you are on our Patreon channel; you get to hear all this other stuff that that didn't make it to the to the episode. Those are the cutting room floor segments. Uh, we also have bonus episodes, at least one every month. This month we're going to be talking about the movie Aguirre: The Wrath of God, a Werner Herzog joint. Herzog, good. Have you seen any <laughs> any Her- So Good movies?
1: Yeah, he did Nosferatu, right?
0: Well, not Nosferatu, but... the uh... No,
1: Nosferatu the, vi- the Vampire, 1979 horror movie written and directed by Werner Herzog. Really? Wow. I mean, it's not Nosferatu, like 1920s <laughs> Nosferatu, but he did a version of Nosferatu. <laughs>
0: Herzog is a real
1: vampire. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh Rescue Dawn, is that the one with Steve Zahn and uh um, Christian Bale? Christian Bale, yeah. Uh Bad Lieutenant, I never saw that, but he directed that with uh Nicolas Cage and um that Ava Mendez. I remember that got a lot of like people were going kinda gaga about it when it came out. So I've seen a couple of Herzog's works. I'm um, familiar with more than I've seen, but uh, this will definitely be the first one I've watched for the sake of podcasting. <laughs>
0: this time you're going to pay attention. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've seen uh, a couple of his documentaries. I watched Grizzly Man, and then he has one that's about volcanoes. Oh, and... God,
1: Grizzly Man. I forgot <laughs> about that movie. I had yeah. compartmentalized that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I mean, Herzog is is one of those somewhat blind spots, because I've seen some of his stuff, but he's, he's a pretty well-known filmmaker, and he has a lot of movies out there. So, all right. Well, thank you. This is coming courtesy of Jordan. So, thank you, Jordan, for giving us an excuse to check out a, a Werner Herzog movie. Uh, so, we'll be talking about that, and also, we'll be talking about uh, Lohan, Lindsay Lohan. July is where we close down the the Lohan journey and we have part three uh, which might be on your feeds already if not it's coming soon that's where we talk about uh, probably the worst Lohan movies that we've covered so far Uh, probably yeah I mean it's the the competition is fierce but labor
1: pains is one of the worst movies we've ever done period Yeah. (laughs) no qualifiers that should be on your feed now We'll be closing out this month with a Christmas in July. You can expect on the 31st of the month, the part four, the dramatic conclusion of Lohan, when we discuss falling for Christmas and the hopefully upswing and potential comeback in the life and career of Miss Lohan. Did you read or see today she gave birth to her son? No, I didn't. The headline or like the picture was just her and her husband. And it was like the headline said, Lindsay Lohan gives birth to baby boy. And it immediately went viral because it's a grown man. And everyone's like, good God, that's a huge baby.
0: (laughs) Well, good. This could only mean good things for our show. (laughs) Um, Part four of Lohan will be available for everybody, not just patrons. It'll, It'll be on the main feed. But of course, if you want to experience the whole journey, well, that's when you have to be a patron. Just drop a buck and you'll be able to enjoy Lohan Parts 1 through 3 so you don't just come in for the last bit of it uh, and then you have to catch up. That's on the ground floor. And then you can, if you want more, there's more. You can just upgrade, keep going to the Winonis tier and beyond. You get our pre-recording notes, you get access to our quick video reviews. This month, Alex, uh, we're doing another dual quick video review, the movie Martin. Uh, demanded by patron Ben. It's a George Romero movie from 1976 or 1977, depending on where you look. And uh, I confirmed with Ben, Alex, he's asking for the regular cut of the movie, not okay. the three hour cut. Wipes brow. We would have done it. We would have to find the cut first. But thankfully, we're just going with the theatrical. Uh, But yeah, Alex and I will be talking about that movie, just watching it together, recording our our impressions halfway through and at the end. And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. This is the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're listening to, that we're thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time?
1: Tis the season, my friends. Those of you who follow me on Twitter already know uh, that I had my annual Criterion haul thanks to the wonderful 50% off sale with Barnes & Noble. So I'll be discussing my recent acquisitions into the, my Criterion collection and then also just discussing some other movies I've watched recently, one of which has a Criterion release that I was hoping to get, but it was not available at the store I went to.
0: Was it Marriage Story? <laughs>
1: I actually, when I was flipping through them and I came upon that, I actually stopped and put my middle finger up to the box. <laughs> they didn't have smithereens, Julio. I was sad. I was going to get smithereens and we were oh, going to have them. The one I went together. to
0: had smithereens. I oh, yeah. We're- the, yeah. Sunset Valley.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I I went to the Arboretum one over here. Um, yeah. That's that's all to come. We'll have really <laughs> geographic specific discussion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> very pretentious talk about criterion don't worry that will be there in the after hours <laughs> also just to lower the pretension a little bit uh we'll tell you about the m night Shyamalan movie knock at the cabin that's the the latest m night m night just can't quit him you know he breaks my heart with shit like old and yet i come back to him because who knows you know you don't know when he's gonna come up with another Sixth Sense or another unbreakable Well, in this one
1: specifically, he walks for miles inside a pit of danger, a place where no one bothers him. He walks alone. Those are the lyrics from Batista's WWE theme back in the day.
0: I thought you were quoting uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, Batista, uh, Dave Batista is one of the stars of this film that Julio is referencing. When he was like the man on top, his theme song, do you remember the band Saliva? No. Click, click, boom, and that—that that was in there. Boom! Can you feel it? They had a couple of like really of the time new metal hits, but they did his song, and his song gets people fired up to this day. So <laughs> might have put, might have to put a sound drop in the after hours.
0: I, I like it. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Uh, and then just very quickly i will tell you about another tv show that i just binged i binged the first season of strange new worlds why is this relevant alex uh well one because we have had our first share of star trek coverage here on the contrarians but also perhaps more importantly um the lead actor the guy that plays captain pike well he was the the lead actor in britney Spears' crossroads and we Oof. we had things to say about Anson Mount back then, and now I have things to say about him. The man has aged gracefully. The man has taken control of his life, and now he's he's the captain of a spaceship in the Star Trek universe. It's pretty exciting to see. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. That's your After Hours, Strange New Worlds, Knock at the Cabin, a lot of Criterion purchases and discussion, mm-hmm. uh, all that, plus the things we very referenced that's all on our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash prime. Take a look. Look at our tiers. See if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements.
1: $1, $3, $5, and $10, the respective tiers. Like Julio already said, ground floor, $1, four quarters, and maybe a few pennies to cover the tax. But you know, check it out. You all know, I mean, those who are already there can tell from our Roxina journey and uh, our Lindsay Lohan journey that we've had. It may be something you just hear and you're like, well, that doesn't really sound that interesting to me. But then you start listening to it and you find yourselves captivated and swept up in what we're doing. And I'm not just saying that because I think it's good. We've had literal testimonies that say that. So, I mean, for one dollar, it's at least worth checking out because I'm surely proud of the work we do, Julio, and I think more people should should uncover it. This is just all shilling and a plug. We're proud of our work <laughs> there, but you know what's more important <laughs> is the love we have for our current patrons and the love we have for any potential new ones. Uh, as I like to end our spiel with here, we are taking applications for new patrons and they will promptly be reviewed and accepted and you will be granted access all the way back Several years ago to our very first patron exclusive where we discussed blue is the warmest color in detail and a range of emotions that I don't know if we've quite experienced since, but uh, (laughs) but that is our patron. You know where to find it and uh, yeah, spread the word. Let's keep it going
0: now. Alex, it's it's time to get back into uh, burning and try to entangle what we saw, what we think we saw, what really happened and uh, what people think happened.
1: At this point, we're both naked driving away, and we're just having a discussion (laughs) on the road about what we think just happened. Yes, we already threw up. All right, Julio. So we were joking at the beginning about burning cars and whatnot. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to burn a car? I mean... You you come from another country. I, I don't know what you did in a previous life, Julio.
0: <laughs> to raise my tracks. <laughs> That's how I ended up in the U.S. <laughs> Everybody back in Peru thinks that Julio Rivera died in a car crash.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I've had some cars that I wanted to set on fire. I know that much. And uh,
0: uh, I had a car, my first car here, almost set itself on fire. It Was smoking pretty badly. It was a radiator.
1: Yep, I had that with my old uh, Ford Explorer. It died on the train tracks by my house over here on Guadalupe and uh, the <laughs> airport. And it was just smoking like crazy. And then I got it. It was kind of on a hill there. And so I kind of got it to roll to and it was a red light. And this guy behind me saw it was dead. So he hopped out of his car. and he was going to help me push it across the street into like this parking lot. And he left his car on the tracks and then ding, 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 <laughs> ding. And then so we're like pushing it. And he's like, oh, shit. So he runs and gets in his car. And this is all going on. Like it's, you know. 7 p.m. or something so there's like traffic and i'm just like sweating trying to push this smoking car at that point i'd i would have just thrown Stephen Ewan and like kerosene in it and just lit it on fire if i, if I could uh i guess to answer that i've never set a car on fire i've also never plotted the murder of somebody
0: <laughs> okay but but you have maybe felt like a really awkward third wheel at some point. I think that you and I are old enough that, that that's an experience that you go through as you move through life.
1: Yeah, that the difference being Jung-soo was a bit more kind, I guess, than I was or just didn't really want to put up a fuss because that what I said in the first half is like legit. Like I showed up someplace one time and saw what the situation was. It's like, all right, fuck this, I'm leaving. And then the... <laughs> Woman acted very oblivious to it. And I was like, all right, fuck off. Fortunately, she did not end up getting murdered and I had to avenge her or anything like that.
0: (laughs) Didn't you think that there was a chance early in the movie, or at least, you know, by the standard of like this runtime, but that there was nothing going on between her and Steven Young and that the kid was overreacting?
1: Are you telling me that for a moment you thought this might be Ed Norton's directorial debut, Keeping the Faith? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I didn't think of that one specifically because no, in that one they they have stuff going on like the, the they're both. But doesn't in he with like
1: them. Ed Norton convinces himself that everything's fine, but in reality Ben Stiller's going to right. town with uh, Jenna Elfman.
0: But no, 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 no. So this would be the opposite of that. Okay, Where I think uh, for for a brief period of time, I thought that Baby Janssou was wrongly assuming that Hey Me was hooking up with Ben. When really, it could have just been that, like like she said, you know, she was lonely. She just needed friends. And so Ben was somebody she was hanging out. But because Ben even makes some comments about how she has trouble telling people when she likes them or whatever. So it mm-hmm. almost sounded like, oh, is is he trying to, is he playing matchmaker? Is he trying to get these two together? And then I was also thinking, does he know that they already had sex? <laughs> because <laughs> that, that raises a lot.
1: That's a big one.
0: Yeah, yeah. But then, I mean, Zhang is a little... Like we said, slow on the uptake. So maybe even then he wasn't sure. Okay, have you had that, Alex? I don't have to answer if it's too awkward. But <laughs> what's that? <laughs> you have sex with someone, and then you still you're still in that like really weird, uh, like Jean is here, where you know they have sex, but then he still seems very unsure how to proceed after. Oh yeah. Even though he likes her, and I, it, it looks like it's pretty clear that she likes him, but he's still acting awkward.
1: That's happened a couple times.
0: So you're definitely more Jean Sou than uh, Stephen Young. Stephen Young acts like they've already had sex, even though they barely shaken hands.
1: I would like to think I have a little of the suave of Stephen Young, but uh, (laughs) not the violent tendencies. So I can relate to this movie on multiple levels. Uh, Again, the murder and arson not being one of them, but uh, just the the idea of uh, a woman or. You know, you can just say a partner, I guess, and someone moving in pretty fast on you and then you being like, oh, what the fuck is this supposed to mean? And then they show up at your house with Steven Yoon and you're like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) You're that guy from I Think You Should Leave.
0: (laughs) Glenn, you survived.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, reminiscing on fun awkwardness aside. We need to get down to brass tacks here and figure out who didn't like this movie, who does, and why we're talking about it. So burning from 2018, as we mentioned, big old powerhouse, 95%. So that still means few people got their two cents in and said, well, actually, so what would you find, Julio? Actually, you know what? I think these are going to be more palatable than the positive reviews, so I'm fired up about this.
0: (laughs) Uh, I don't know about that, Alex. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. Well, so I got five five green splotches, but they're grouped. They're, there's three separate groups because there's you know two pairs that kind of talk about the same thing. And as you would expect, with ninety five percent, like not a whole lot of negative reviews. But we'll start with Chris Barsanti from Film Journal International, who says a stunted writer gets wrapped up in a mysterious romantic triangle in Lee Chang Dong's Lee meticulous Korean mumblecore Gatsby riff.
1: Okay. Man, I really spoke too soon.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know that this is Mumblecore. I, I, we've talked about Mumblecore before. What, what movie were we talking about? Uh, oh, uh, um, Drinking Buddies, because yes. that director is, is a, a Mumblecore director, is known as a Mumblecore director. And uh, when I think Mumblecore, I think a lot more underplayed than what we see here. They're fucking, there's a brutal, cold blooded murder at the end. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no shit. It's so whimsical.
0: Yes. (laughs) The way Stephen Young's life just leaves his eyes at the end.
1: Yeah, I don't get the riff on Gatsby either. I I mean, they make allusion to it, but that's not the type of movie that's going to beat you over the head with what it's trying to do. And then also, I'm not even sure I see any direct parallels. I'm sure if I squinted, I could, but you know what I mean?
0: It's pretty much what uh, Yon Su says. Like oh he's like Gatsby in the sense that this is like this rich guy and somehow I guess there's some mystique that people find appealing about him. But uh, look, I watched the I have never read the Great Gatsby. I watched the Baz Luhrmann adaptation and I don't remember almost anything about it. So <laughs> I think burning one Great Gatsby zero at this point. <laughs> uh, all right, the next one is it's a pair of quotes let start with uh, Aine O'Connor from Sunday Independent, Ireland. Who says, It is interesting and it looks good, but it's not involving enough to sustain its 148-minute runtime. And despite its unusual storytelling, the ending proves strangely predictable. Now, pair that one with Scott Marks from the San Diego Reader, who says, For a film that tries so hard to subvert standard methods of storytelling, the action that climaxes the film comes as a cheat, a commercial concession of the lowest order. So... Just talking a little bit about the ending, Alex. Did you find it one predictable and two cheap? No, <laughs> I did not expect dude jean to just so suddenly murdered. <laughs> well, it's John.
1: awesome too because for a second you don't know who stabbed who,
0: right? You're not even sure what's going on because of the subtitles, right? Like, I, I wasn't like, who's asking about who. Mm-hmm right? Uh, uh, hey, me, like if Steven Yeun's killed her, then he obviously knows that she's not going to be there. So why would he be asking that? So yeah, I thought that maybe Stephen Young had called Jean Sue and told him to meet him there just so that he could kill him because he knew that he was getting suspicious, but it turns out it was the other way around. So yeah, I didn't see it coming. And then, okay, is it cheap in the sense that it betrays the tone of the movie before? Which is what? I don't know. I don't, like, I can see... How it's a doom and gloom movie, man. Yeah, but it's very different. I mean, part of the reason why it's surprising, I think, is because you don't think that this is a movie that's leading to a resolution that is just violence, right? Like You would think that it's going to be a more intellectual resolution. I I, I, I was ready for it to just be done with, well, I guess he'll never know what happened. And then he goes and writes his book. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> but instead... God, it was just this outburst of violence.
1: It would have sucked so bad if the movie ended with, like, the Carrie Bradshaw. He's typing the story, like, you know. In the end. The
0: title. He's typing the title. (laughs) Burning. Do we leave them or do they leave us? (laughs) (laughs) And just like that, I murdered my first victim. (laughs) Jesus.
1: (laughs) I think the movie, like. The high point is the end. The end has some balls because the whole movie is like this uh, feeling of uncertainty and there's nothing more definitive or certain than someone getting stabbed to death and then thrown in a car that gets set on fire. It's a pretty definitive ending. Him getting naked and doing that like stumble was kind of weird, but obviously he was going through a lot of emotions in that moment. Uh, But no, I, I disagree with that. I think the movie is kind of just a story of this random dude who ends up going through this mental tailspin and that's the result of it. So I disagree with that review.
0: Yeah. Calling it a commercial concession makes it sound like the only reason that it happens is because they thought that that would be more, uh, appealing to mass audiences. That's the test audience. Uh, yeah, he should kill him at the end. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Kill the bad guy. Don't let him get away with it. Um, it should be, man, that should be the ending that, that audiences just go crazy for. The post credit scene is, hey, me, back in Africa, dancing. <laughs> a different suitcase. Uh, all right. Then this final pair. Uh, Danielle Zulzman from Zolzy at the Movies says, A slow burn of a film. Burning isn't only painfully long, but it is seriously problematic in treating women like a sexual fantasy. And couple that with Marianne Johansson from Flick Philosopher who says, oh hey, it's the nice guy's complaint, done up art house style, meant to render male entitlement, unwarranted yeah. sexual jealousy, and personal ineffectualness as something deep and meaningful. It's not. I wanna say, pump the brakes, Marianne. <laughs> I think I get what she's saying, but I also I don't agree, but I don't want to be like super mean in disagreeing with it (laughs) because i understand her point i know that there's an archetype and jean so kind of fits it i mean there is if you look at him and, and i mean feel free to disagree with me his behavior is not great like it's just that he happens to be in a movie where there's somebody that's even creepier than him but the whole like i'm gonna go just jerk off in your apartment while you're in africa and and I'm going to, like, be really obsessed with you. Like, yes,
1: that- he's not well.
0: Right. But I don't think that the movie says that his behavior is great. It's just that, well, these are the two people that we have in this movie, you know, mm-hmm. interacting with this girl. So, <laughs> in, in a different movie, he would be the bad guy. <laughs> he would be the one with the red flags. But in this movie, there happens to be somebody that's an actual murderer, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't need... The protagonist to be squeaky clean and to be i i think this movie is just would be a little more boring if he didn't have all those flaws and all those kind of i, I would say rough edges but it's not that he's the rough edges it's just that there's there's a lot of murkiness i guess to his character but and here i'll, I'll let you jump in but i think you know unsurprisingly those last two reviews are from women and I think that maybe if you're a woman, you're fucking tired of dudes like this, <laughs> like, like John Sue, who are like nice guys mm-hmm. that maybe had sex with you once, and then they were just obsessed and got mad when you decided to date Stephen Yon or whenever you became friends with Stephen Young. So I think that there's no archetype that hits women harder than people like you and me, who are just like, oh, well, you know, I've been there, <laughs> like the girl, and then she... Uh, she started dating Stephen young so it's tricky but I, I I just don't like the because I think it's a good movie and I don't think yeah. that, that that that's a problem that it has it's just you know an aspect of it Peter. Peter.
1: Peter. it's we talk about it all the time I'm not gonna I don't I have no idea what it's like to be a woman, so I'm not going to tell a woman that their opinion on something like this is necessarily wrong. It's not as cut and dry as saying something like "Load" is Metallica's best album. That's just like objectively false. <laughs> For someone to say, you know, to be a, a woman and say, I don't like the way this portrays women. Well, that's, I can't argue with that. What I can say though is you're right about every story is different. And yes, there's most movies need Indiana Jones, Luke Skywalker, uh, Dolomite. We need our <laughs> very clearly defined protagonist. But some movies need Driver. Or in this case, Jong-Soo of... There's more nuance to that. Lewin Davis. He's a shitbag, man. But that's part of what makes that movie interesting is we're following the journey of this like, asshole and seeing how it impacts others along the way and you know how it affects his story that he is the way he is. And this, and this movie with Jong-Soo is he's, he's kind of a weirdo and obviously is unbalanced. He, his home life and his relationship with women in general, it's established is not good due to like his mom and sister running out on him and the way he just almost kind of blows off his mom when she's that seems so weird. She's like telling him this really serious shit and he's just kind of like, all right, mom. And so I would agree that a lot of his behavior is questionable, but I think that's kind of intentional. And the biggest thing like Lewin Davis is that the movie doesn't try to convince you that what they're doing is right that you know what they that they're noble and just and that they are the the hero of the movie this is just a movie of you know a walk and brawl you just kind of walk alongside <laughs> it and see what unfolds with it it's long but i think it, i just this ties into the point of that it is just a side scroller like this movie is a fucking electric sidewalk then like the <laughs> longest airport you've ever been in. And you just kind of stand in place and you just go along it's with the it.
0: opening of uh, it's the opening of Jackie Brown.
1: There you go. There you go. And you just kind of stand in place and go alongside it and watch it happen. And when it's over, you're like, well, son of a bitch, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's important to say again, not every movie needs to be like this. Most movies don't need to be like this. It's a fascinating piece of business. And uh, one of those rare, rare instances where I think the runtime kind of helps it because it it is plotting, but purposefully so.
0: Oh, I, I was not expecting that. I, I thought that the, you were still going to tell me that you felt the runtime. I'm, I'm still wrestling with the runtime myself. Well, I watched it in um, two
1: chunks. I watched ah. the, the first hour and a half and then made dinner and did some shit, took about two hours off and then watched uh, the second half. It's, um, yeah, to just kind of go back to what we were talking about and just kind of put finality to it. Yeah, the character's flawed, but I don't think the movie, anything that can be perceived as problematic, at least from my vantage point, I didn't see the movie Praising it or presenting it as like mm-hmm.
0: good, yeah. I think that the the it, and after this we'll go into Ryan's <laughs> Ryan's mystery comments we're about to unleash on on everybody. But if if anything, I think the movie takes a stand of hey me being the innocent character here. But even then, I mean, it's you know these are complex people. Is she? I don't think we get to spend enough time in her head to really know what. The deal is between her and uh, jean su and Ben, but based on what we're shown, I think that I found her the most sympathetic character out of all of them, and I I was I could really empathize with her pain, I guess, or you know what she was going through. Like I understood what uh, uh, jean su was going through, but it was a little more, like you said it's more weird. It was a little more <laughs> removed from you know what i consider like normal behavior or whatever but with her i was like oh god she's just having one of those crises she just wants to find the meaning of life one day and then the next day she's like well i didn't find it so i really just kind of want it all to be over it's like yeah that's you know she's having that malaise of Mm -hmm. you know your mid-20s or whatever it's like and, and unfortunately she finds herself surrounded by two dudes one that's a little like murderer if, if you have a read of the movie and then the other one is this dude that doesn't have his shit together either so can't be of any use and instead probably uh, instead it ends up being detrimental to her yeah you know? uh, but okay so Ryan wrote like a fucking novel I just opened that email that he sent. <laughs> there's like three paragraphs I'd expect nothing less <laughs> yes he titled it Burning and he opens with hello fuckers <laughs> <laughs> All right. He says, I went out of my way to see Burning without knowing the plot and was drawn to the film by word of mouth about Steven Yeun's performance. Outside of seeing the first season of The Walking Dead, I wasn't too familiar with him as an actor, but I am always wanting to see a film that showcases the skills of a performer that we may not always get to see the range of. I really like Burning. I find it an emotional experience, and I am thankful that it has made me a Stephen Yeun fan who I now have been following the work of since seeing this in the cinema all those years ago. Burning does a marvelous job at putting the viewer in the shoes of the main character, as we can't help but draw conclusions from an assortment of disparate elements gathered during the runtime. I delight in how the movie plays with the viewer by bringing us along this dreamy thrill ride, making us uneasy, paranoid, needing answers, and giving us many things that could be clues, but the thing is we're following a character who is deeply troubled and biased in his search for a girl that he treated poorly. We're so caught up in solving the puzzle, and yet there are times when if you take a step back, you realize that we're watching a bitter young man find reasons to justify his growing motivations to lash out and kill a person. Early on, Hey Me tells us that you can convince yourself that something is real if you really want it to be, and then for the rest of the film, we're left wrestling with whether or not John Su is doing just that. When I first watched Burning, I thought that Ben was a killer for a long time, but I was swayed otherwise when John Su was convinced when the cat responded to him. I sat back and realized how far gone things had become because now a random cat glancing over is enough for our lead and us to condemn a person as a killer. Outside of gut feelings and random elements, there's not much to support Ben being a monster in the way we may have thought. He could just be a ladies' man who is rich and detached. Steve Young's performance really left me questioning at the end as well because Ben seemed genuinely confused and shocked to have been stabbed, and that made me think he was probably just a guy and not this mastermind murderer. One could argue that he was so cocky that he didn't expect this, but there's also just something innocent in his expression to facing his own death that leaves me uneasy. In a nutshell, one of the major things I love about the film is that it gives us many pieces to play with and interpret for ourselves. Unkind regards, Ryan Sliwinski. Yeah. Unkind, come on. Unkind. Um, I asked you about the ending and, and what you thought because uh, my wife joined me on the couch for the last, I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. and she was like, what the fuck is going on? So while, while the ending was playing, she got on her phone and I just looked up the movie, I guess, to, to try to figure out, catch up with the plot and understand what was happening. And then when it was over, she looked at me and she was like... So so, what do you think? And I said, oh, it's a good movie. And she's like, no, but what do you think of of the ending? What do you think happened? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm oh, like, he killed him. <laughs> he killed the guy that that had probably murdered his this girl that he liked. And she was it still questioning me because I guess she had read about the ending being referred to as being this ambiguous thing where you don't know what's happening. And I was surprised in the way that, uh, like, I was surprised when we did the the episode on uh, what was it called, Black Bear. The movie that yeah. your mom watched twice. <laughs> mm-hmm. It were it was the same thing, right? I watched it and I thought I had a pretty clear idea of what it was about, and then I read the discourse online, and it turned out that a lot of people had many different interpretations of it. And I guess I haven't really gone down the rabbit hole of burning theories because I wanted to come into this conversation fresh. But from what my wife said, and now you know, just reading what Ryan's take on it is, <laughs> I guess there is a. a a section of viewers that think that Ben was not the killer or that at least that is not as obvious as I thought it was and I, I think that he makes a good point in the sense that um, I completely forgotten about the pantomime thing about how you you can convince yourself that something is real uh, and I joked about the cat thing in Contreras Corner I mm-hmm. I thought that that was just the movie being dumb uh, you know having a legal, taking a shortcut because yeah. like I said cats don't act that way but but it is because there's no proof, like you said, there's no body. Yeah, you could explain a way, you can rationalize her disappearance in many different ways, right? She mm-hmm. just because she didn't take her suitcase doesn't mean that she didn't go on a trip or that she didn't disappear, that she just got tired of everything. Because that's that was the the mood that she was in, you know, that was the vibe that she was giving. Um and maybe she just gave Stephen Young her watch, and maybe he has a stray cat too, and that's not her cat. I mean, I guess so. But do you think, and I'm wrestling with this myself because that's a question that I hadn't really thought about it, that, that we are so into his point of view during the movie that everything Steven Yon does comes across as creepy just because we're seeing it through his eyes?
1: I guess, but he's also uh, creepy. You know, he' was kind of stressing that word or overusing it in the first half to kind of stress the point. That's what I was trying to say. Um he's just so cold and clinical. It's not like he is hiding behind corners and like bleh. Like he's not like <laughs> creepy. He's just so matter of fact. And there's a couple shots of like uh Jung Su's like just staring at him in like a public setting or like a group setting, and then Stephen Ewan like locks eyes with him and just the mm-hmm. way he reacts to him is so unsettling. It's not overtly like creepy or anything, but I guess unsettling. That's the word I'm looking for here. His character just, there's so much unknown about him, about what he does, where he gets his money, you know, how he lives that the way he acts, even though it's not overtly like, man, there's something wrong with this guy. You think instinctively, well, there's gotta be something wrong with this guy. He's like, it seems too perfect and he's too, uh, he just seems emotionally detached. It's it's just kind of a weird combo. You appreciate
0: do have it. a very interesting part. Yes, where we yes, always yes. wonder oh, yeah. about you and what you're thinking, what you're doing and where you're coming from until we know where you're going, which, you know. I appreciate that. <laughs> but maybe you deserve it in the film. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, that I won't. That will leave to you guys. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think this is really interesting, just that the question of do we perceive him that way as, as somebody that unsettles us because the movie is telling you, yeah, he's somebody that should unsettle you or because the movie is telling you we are watching him through the eyes of, of young Soo, and young Soo wants us to, it wants him to be unsettling. Cause like Ryan said, he's looking for an excuse to dislike him, you know, to, to just say this is a bad dude. And really he's just an asshole. But but you want it to be more. I mean, that is wild. That's a wild reading of the movie. I'm now, I'm reeling from it. Because the idea that the movie is about this guy convincing himself that he needs to kill this man. Is, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. I don't think that that's, that's definitely not how I experienced it. But I, I could be swayed to see it that way on a rewatch. Because I remember... That was my main thought when the movie was over. I was like, I need to watch it again. I just need to watch it again because I feel mm-hmm. like there's a lot that might have either gone over my head or not really landed because, you know, it was the first... You're still getting your bearings the first time you watch a movie. And my reading of the movie had nothing to do with this. And it was more about or what I felt I was missing was, I'm like, the idea that they're, they're on the border with North Korea when they're on at, at the farm. Right? Yeah. And just the mention that they're constantly looking in that direction and they have all those those lines and those thoughts and those speeches and they're just right next to a, a place that's the same country, but it's also a completely different place, a completely yeah. different uh, set of rules. And uh, and you have these people that, I mean, there's that division with North Korea and South Korea, but there's also the division between the class division between people like Steven Young and people like Me and John Su there's that division there too on that side right and and how they react and how they talk about things the same things but they handle them differently and uh, how Stephen young and his friends see somebody like hey me as, as this entertaining person that you know they're just gonna make fun of they're gonna ask her about her trip to africa and tell her to show them the dances but just so they can snicker at it and that's probably like the most cruel thing that happens in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that the movie is I felt like the movie was trying to say something about that class division and and just what happens and, and the the helplessness that you have, you know, the idea of like, well, the people with money are going to get away with with murder literally, right? If you read Stephen Young as, as a murderer and the fact that his dad, uh jean Su's dad is going to prison. <laughs> probably mm. because you know he he's lower class but steven young is just probably gonna keep killing people unless somebody stops him and uh i don't know there's a lot of ideas a lot of like really cool things that's what i liked about the movie uh, just that that i felt that there was a lot of loose ends that it's not that they were unrelated it's just that they were up there you know for the taking and it was like next time you watch it grab that thread and and pull on it and see what where that takes you. Uh, I don't know what to make of the mom, for example, like that 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 scene with the mom i I don't know. <laughs> I can't really I was not kidding because first quarter I can't make heads or tails of it uh, because he's not the only one that's acting weird. I mean, she's acting weird. she's she's playing on her phone.
1: yeah, absolutely. And like I mentioned already, just the the mom, the sister, the you know the Jaime's mom asks, you know, is your sister married? It's like, yeah, she has kids. The dad like there is something really off putting, but also you immediately understand some of the um, parameters of the relationship or just like the dichotomy in that the dad character does not have a single line of dialogue in the whole movie. He just stares at him at that one point and he leaves the courtroom and uh, it does paint the picture of someone who just pines for love or, you know metaphorically and literally like a, a a touch, but he's such a damaged person. He doesn't really know what to do with it when he has it. A lot of interesting little tidbits here and there. That was the thing. The movie, I couldn't really figure out how I felt about it really until towards the end. And when it all kind of just came together and especially like when he was selling the calf, when he saw his dad get sentenced and he was kind of like you know typing his story and kind of tying up all the loose ends i was like i knew the movie had built up so much so that it's not just going to end with that shot of him typing and then panning out and showing the city i'm like something's going to happen mm-hmm. uh i wasn't sure if i thought he was going to kill the dude but it makes sense he just really w- the way i read it was at that point he has really nothing left to live for and no infrastructure or support uh from his family so As unhealthy as the idea of it is, the one woman that showed him attention became obsessed with. And when she went away, he had to blame someone else. And even if I think Ben killed her, which I did, it's that's what drove him and pushed him over the edge. Could have just hung out at some greenhouses.
0: (laughs) But the the fact that he has that speech with their high where he talks about how much he hates his father and the fact that his father doesn't have self-control and that his anger constantly you know gets him in trouble i mean not with those words but basically that's the sentiment and then at the end he ends up succumbing to the darkness in him right he lets anger take him he goes to the dark side and and kills Stephen yon i mean that's there's something there also about like you said he doesn't have the support so it's just it was almost in, inevitable for him to just uh Go down that way, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. By the way, going back to the some of the criticisms that in in those rotten reviews, because I think that you can understand a character and even maybe empathize up to a point, but without really thinking that they're in the right, right? Like you can say, like, man, this this guy was fucked, you know, <laughs> from the beginning, and that doesn't mean that the movie's telling you, yeah, but he's, you know, you should cheer him on, you know, you could wish for him to do something different, but that in the end doesn't Doesn't mean that you're you're 100 behind everything he does, so he's a complicated character. I mean, I, I guess the three of them are. And here's the, the bummer, I guess the real bummer is that if uh, if Stephen Young didn't kill Amy, it doesn't look good for her anyway. Like, there's a good chance that she killed herself just based yeah. on what we've seen in the movie, and that's that's just as sad. So there's there's no winners here.
1: <laughs> no, it's definitely a bleak ending, and. Just the way her, I believe it was her sister talked about her and it's like, tell her she can't come back until she pays off all her debts, that type of shit. I'm like, man, cold world.
0: There's also that scene where he's when he's sleuthing around and he's just asking around town if anybody's seen her. And he's talking to her, her co-worker, her boss from the job where she was dancing uh, for the raffle. And that lady goes on a monologue about just basically how hard it is to be a woman yeah and i she might be saying it specifically about south korea but i guess it's it's kind of universal and uh, that also sets the stage to just just saying like well maybe she just had enough and she wanted to disappear doesn't maybe she didn't kill herself but she was just like enough of this shit you know mm-hmm. this guy that i thought was my friend basically literally called me a whore and turned on me i was like yeah maybe she just i guess that's the happier ending she just left these fuckers <laughs> just went somewhere else and took her cat with her you know she didn't take her suitcase but she took her cat
1: Boyle, it's kind of a cute name for a cat (laughs) uh we didn't talk about it yet but we do need to give copious amounts of props to the conclusion the murder scene did you notice that's like one continuous shot Mm -hmm. yeah i pretty fantastic
0: I don't remember what point I noticed because it's not like, you know, some of these you can tell, you're just from the beginning, you're like oh, is this a one shot? And you just follow it the entire time. Uh, this was more like halfway through I realized that I didn't think that there'd been a cut. And then mm-hmm. it just kept being uninterrupted. And I'm like, oh yeah, this was a one shot. That's that's pretty impressive. and uh, Especially because there's so much going on. Right. And there's just the emotion. <laughs> just, it's uninterrupted. Uh, they I wanted to joke in Contero's Corner about how they were out on giving us a good close-up of the stabbing, the initial stabbing. But uh, but no, I mean, here in real talk, it's, like, it's just so effective to see it from so far away when it first happens. Yeah. Because like you said, you don't know what happened. <laughs> you just know that something horrible happened. Somebody got hurt, and then it becomes clearer. And then he brings him in and really finishes him off uh, in the car. In so much as that um, the character is not a Korean-American, um, but he's a traveled man and he's a worldly man. And he's almost someone you can't figure out in traditional Korean archetypes. So you can't say that person's like this type of person or that person's like this type of person. Really, you kind of have no idea who this person is and where he's from or what he's about. So I, I think you told me before we started recording, that. Uh, do you have a favorite performance among the the, the main three?
1: Man, the girl's really good. Uh Jean-Jong Seo. Jaime, mm-hmm. she's pretty excellent. Like, I was being kind of serious. There are some borderline cliche-type moments. Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like we were joking about. But the scene where she's dancing when she's high is excellent. And uh that sex scene uh, is, for the most part, one long take also. And her, like reactions and just it's got it, it sounds so cliche and just overstated but you know her eyes like you can read so much through her eyes and it just seems so real and genuine and um it helps having never seen her in anything else before uh because you know i i can never say i believe that's brad pitt because i've seen him do so many things <laughs> but this young lady so convincing in this role that you know I was just like holy shit that's her um yeah and Ben Steven Yeun he like I kept I've repeatedly stated it's not overtly creepy it's just so unsettling and he's excellent with it all three leads are really good but I I, I think the Jaime might have stolen my heart in this one
0: yeah, mine too. Uh, I I did miss her during the second half when she was gone, and I mm-hmm. at some point I realized, oh, okay, so the rest of the movie is about her being gone, and that that bummed me out because she was the the character. I mean, like I said, right? She's the one that you you can recognize as somebody that's seems pure. Uh, there was a point early in the movie where I was wondering if the whole thing was just her a plot of hers to get revenge on Jiangsu. Uh, because of how she had, he had treated her when she was, dude. Younger. Okay,
1: that was my worst case scenario. I was so worried that's what the movie was going to be.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I thought at the beginning when she was just telling him, "Hey, let's come to come so you can feed my cat." And then she's like, "You really don't remember me?" And I was like, "Oh God, is she going to like kill him?" Because they didn't yeah. know what the movie was about at the time. But then, then there was a point, dude. I I, I think I was I was pretty slow on figuring out what the movie was about because. The moment where, right before they get high, when they're just well, it sitting doesn't there really and,
1: It doesn't particularly spoon feed you. It's a good thing. It takes you a while to figure it out.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But I was just happy with it being what it seemed to be for a while, which was this movie about these three very different people having conflict, but also finding common ground when they're all sitting outside the farm, just looking at North Korea in the distance.
1: It was like, okay. Pointing and you know, laughing.
0: Are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to sort of, from this point on, kind of build towards uh, a friendship, right? And, and jean Su is going to stop being, is going to go from being jealous of Ben to being appreciative of what he brings to to this trio, even though he's kind of a pretentious asshole, right? We're going to see, like, another side of Ben. We're, you know, we're going to we'll see... Uh, a more sympathetic side of it but no the movie went a completely different direction and that was fine but up to a point until then i was like this is cool you know people that are that have their own issues coming together i thought that that's what it was gonna be and uh i think that's why i if i'm gonna push against something on, on those quotes that, that i read at the beginning is the one where it's, that said that all women the women were just sexual fantasies sexual objects in in the movie because i think that's Really selling the character of, uh, hey me, short. She she has a lot going on there, and it's yes, the fact that she is desired by the two guys is, is part of it, but that's not all of it. She she's a true dimensional character that's there and uh, has her own desires and her own goals, and she takes actions to to try to accomplish them, and then unfortunately everything goes bad for her, you know. So, uh, but yeah, she was she was also my. My MVP.
1: I need to circle back to the closing, the murder scene, because I forgot to mention. I do like the detail of he's just so completely overcome with emotions. He just starts puking like mm-hmm. repeatedly when he's trying to walk back and you know set the car on fire. That uh, I know you're not a 21 Jump Street fan, but that was one of my favorite <laughs> gags in that movie. Is when uh, Channing Tatum Hill
0: just stabs uh, <laughs> Ice Cube.
1: <laughs> Channing Tatum shoots somebody. And he like kills some dude. And I guess it's the first guy he's killed. And Jonah Hill's like, holy shit, you killed that guy. And he just, blah, he just throws <laughs> up. <laughs> um, Good shit, man. Ryan, you know, we give him a hard time because his spectrum of movies, I think sometimes confuses you and I, <laughs> because we obviously agree about a lot of things. And recently on their show, we, we, you and disagreed. I Yeah, had a great time with the movie we watched and just knowing some of the stuff he likes, I thought he was going to enjoy it and he did not. If you've not seen terminal velocity first, listen to spit and polish discussing terminal velocity and then watch it. Cause it's a, it's a hoot. But then he does stuff like fucking fantastical findings and, um, <laughs> fateful findings. And you and I are just kind of left here. Like dicks in hand. Like what the hell is this? Like, Like, we're happy we have patrons, but what are we supposed to do with this, man? And so we both went in background blind, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I can do when Ryan says a movie that I've never heard of before. And this one paid off swimmingly. This movie feels like you're walking up a very um, low-grade hill. Like, there's not a big incline to it for two and a half hours. And you just keep walking because you don't know what's there. It's the fucking ladder in Metal Gear Solid 3 that you just keep climbing. Julio, in Metal Gear Solid 3, there's a sequence where you climb a ladder for like three and a half minutes, I think literally, and you don't know why, but you can't stop because you don't know what's at the end of it. And that's like with this, it felt like I was walking up a hill. Uh, I wasn't exerting myself. I wasn't sweating too bad. I was, you know, I was just, I wanted to keep going because I wanted to see what's at the top of the hill. And then I was kind of shocked with what was there. Murder. It was a, it was a greenhouse on fire. <laughs> So, you know, not every movie can be this, not every movie should be this, not every movie needs to be a unique experience, but it is unique. And I can see where a lot of the praise came from. I read that it was submitted as South Korea's foreign language, uh, best foreign language film entry for the Academy Awards in 2019 uh, it did not make it to the final round, but it became the first Korean film to make it to the final nine.
0: That's cool. I, that, I would have been happy with it being nominated, because I, I think that it does deserve it.
1: So, A- maybe? There are some things in this that There's one too many of those things that kind of don't go anywhere. The phone calls where someone keeps hanging up, thats obviously builds tension, but I don't believe it was his mom the whole time. Really?
0: I think it was his mom, but I I don't know why we, what the deal with the mom is. Just because
1: of the way she was acting was so weird that I don't, it felt like she was too vain to do that.
0: The thing with the well probably is the one that bothers me the most.
1: Yeah. I get that it's there to establish that she may not be trusted. I think that does add a very interesting twist. So basically, here's the thing: you need the well or the cat. You don't need both of them. Uh, And I'd probably side with the well because you're right. (laughs) Like Nori, Nori's awesome. My dog, uh, love her to death. You know just depending on our mood and dogs are way more receptive to that shit than cats what I'm trying to stress yep. here is like it just depends on our mood sometimes she'll act like she doesn't hear me sometimes she'll run to me and other times she's like I don't want to talk to you right now get away from me <laughs> and so the idea the thing with the cat you're right so I'd probably do the well because that's like a traumatic childhood story that she potentially made up and oh man could she be trusted she's kind of a sociopath or whatever and then in the end you find out there is a well
0: but of course you can say just because there was a well doesn't mean that she fell
1: exactly just because in there it. was a cat that finally ran into his arms also doesn't mean that it was her cat so well,
0: i think even if she fell in the well it doesn't mean that ben killed her <laughs> so.
1: uh yeah well no you got the watch so there's still that you got to pick it you got to pick one or the other and it's well, not even a thing of like it, it lessens the runtime i don't even give a shit about that it's just like it's it's too much
0: what do you make of the fact? Because you just mentioned the watch, and it just, that just reminded me the when he's talking to her coworker, the coworker's is wearing a watch that's like that. And so is it just like it, it did make a point of having him look and make a face, I guess, when he sees the watch. So is that just saying like, look, there's a lot of these watches around. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> they give them out with samples of Tide around here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like I really like the idea of there's evidence that says he killed her but there's also evidence to say that she's a recluse and that can't necessarily be trusted and one day she could up and disappear. I think there's a bit too many it's uh it's its own triple play when really all you need is like one appetizer. You just need like <laughs> one thing kind of out there that dangles the proverbial carrot. But again, these aren't things that ruin the movie by any stretch. I still I'm somewhere between an A and a B plus and probably an A minus letterbox review. Will probably be like four stars. I think yeah, it's just it's really solid. And the things I'm picking apart right now is because you and I have been talking about this movie for two hours and this is what happens. We find stuff that we're like, yeah, well, you could change this or that. But if we were coming out of the theater together right now, I'd be like, holy shit, that ruled. So <laughs> let's settle on a B plus. That'll be about a four star letterbox review with the uh, option to raise the, uh, my thoughts and letter grade upon future viewings because I definitely see me watching this movie again at some point.
0: Yeah, I, I am itching for a rewatch. I mean, like I said, I, that I had that feeling from the moment that the movie ended. I, I did feel the runtime, but I think it's one of those rare instances where I'm going to feel the runtime less on a rewatch because I'm going to be so preoccupied with picking everything apart on the way you know, now that I know what I'm supposed to be looking out for, I think that that's going to make it more fun. Uh, It's not that I was bored. It was more that I just, I was ready for the story to reach whatever it was going to reach and then be done. And I was kind of getting impatient with him in a sense of like, okay, how many more red flags are you going to find before we get to any sort of conclusion? Right. (laughs) It's like, she's not answering her phone. She, uh, she doesn't answer the door when he finally gets in there's no cat there's no litter box there's nothing but the suitcase is there and then uh, Stephen Young has her watch Stephen Young might have her cat I was like okay <laughs> I get it uh, and then it turns out that maybe I didn't get it <laughs> because there's a good chance that he was innocent <laughs> I, I I think that
1: they'll believe me that I'll, Ben character was guilty of something if it wasn't murder <laughs> He, he would have tweets that came out or something eventually.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm going with, uh, with four stars right now. There's a good chance it'll go up to four and a half after I rewatch it. Um, I felt like the three of us over time where we connected was in our own inherent loneliness um, as characters and as people. All right. Well, that was burning. Coming up next, when do you know it, Alex? We're tackling a movie that is completely different in tone, genre, nationality, <laughs> everything. <laughs> Patron and fellow podcaster Billy Dunham from We Watch a Thing, Billy, who helped us during the Friends of Aganza, Billy, who did Street Fighter with us yeah. way back in the day. He wants us to tackle The Prince's Bride, a bona fide American classic.
1: Man, it's been a while since I've seen that. So I'm excited to revisit it.
0: I've seen it many times, but it's been a while too. So it's, it is one of those rare movies where I think my wife will jump at the occasion of watching it because I don't think we've ever watched it together. So it should be fun. And then I can't wait to just tear it apart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it should be fresh, I'll right? I try it's-
1: very hard to limit my amount of Andre the Giant impression.
0: No, impressions, that's, that's, excuse me. If you if you don't do it in this one, I mean I don't know that we're gonna get another chance.
1: Yeah, that's true. I don't think we're doing that episode of six million dollar man where he was Bigfoot anytime soon, so
0: <laughs> The Princess Bride, Alex, ninety eight percent on the tomato meter.
1: It's got a criterion. Yeah. Time yeah. to just bury the fuck out of Wallace Sean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, That's coming up next. The Princess Bride. You've all seen it. If you haven't seen it, well, get to it. Uh, Alex, get us out of here. All right.
1: We'll move into perennial plugs. Before we do, Ryan, thanks again for uh, throwing this our way, throwing a few bucks our way and uh, demanding this one. And it was a good one. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, so we will get out of here by giving thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs.
0: Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothbeeser is the man behind our logo and all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page, that little tomato looking at itself in the mirror and doing all sorts of other things. Uh, that's all Hans's handiwork. So if you like it, let him know reach out to him on twitter at mildemonios m-i-l-d-e-m-o-n-i-o-s or email him mildemonios at hotmail.com or check out his website mildemonios.pe that's where he lists all his other work he's a writer so he has a bunch of novels under his name uh, fantasy novels novels about zombies and he also has two podcasts nacion combi which is about Peruvian current affairs and marginal which is about economy hans thank you for all your support
1: LateNightGrin.com, if you are into the wacky world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over there have you covered daily posts, podcast updates, and whatnot. They are way more in tune with Modern Happenings than I am. So, that's your bag, check it out. And lastly, from us, we want to give thanks to our social media team of Corey Ari and Zoe Perez, who continue to do fantastic work for us. Corey's been just killing it with those videos. Our quick video reviews uh, our I guess when we do the co-quick video reviews, they're not so quick, but the the editing is on point in <laughs> our warm-up videos and all that good shit. Instagram page, the work they do for us is greatly appreciated. So, Facebook.com/slash Contrarian Prime, YouTube.com/slash at Contrarian Prime, Instagram at Contrarian Prime, our Twitter, of course, is in the bumper, and our Patron Patron.com/slash Contrarian Prime. Follow us, catch them all, collect them all, find us everywhere you can. Zoe, Corey, we appreciate the work you've done for us and continue to do so and most of all we appreciate you, the listening public for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time